The digital side hug, it's back. I'm so excited. And I'm in the recording studio of Ethos Church with Dave Clayton. Dave, put her there. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh man, this is fun. Uh, Dave Clayton is with us. Dave, I could tell them who you are, but I would rather you tell them who you are. So, so who are you? Why do I want you to be on this podcast? And why don't you start with kind of the personal, um, your family, stuff like that. Yeah, so my name's Dave Clayton, and from Charleston, South Carolina, and now live in Nashville, yes. Tennessee. And I have an amazing wife, Sydney. We celebrated our nine-year anniversary last week. And we've got two little boys, Micah, who's three, Jack, who's one, and then another kiddo on the way. Um, did you know that? I did, yeah. actually. I saw it, so, yes. Uh, yeah, so we have another kid coming. We don't know if it's a boy or girl right. yet. Sid's only 13. Two sons so far. Yeah, two sons so far. And, and, I, and it's hard to believe it was three years ago this summer that, that that Micah was born and that I got to come to the hospital and be a part of such a magical time. <laughs> uh, actually, we were invited, uh, this group of friends and I, to leave the hospital, Dave, because we were sort of in the way ruining family time, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good memory. You can actually see that video online on YouTube somewhere, I'm sure. And uh, that was actually a really... Really funny moment. We're breaking the streak. Both of our boys have been born during impact. This will be the first kid not to be born during impact. Okay. Well. We're pretty disappointed. And I think, but that's creative scheduling by you and your wife. Yeah. Um, I'm really thankful that you're on this podcast and that you agreed to meet with us. Uh, Dave is, you're the leader of Ethos Church, as I said earlier, which is a church in, in Nashville, but also in other places, which I'm so excited to hear more about, because um, I, I didn't even know that you guys had expanded beyond Nashville, or at least not to where you have expanded. Um, but let's start with uh, Blitzkrieg, Get to Know Me. A lightning round of questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's do this. Dave Clayton. Morris Gregwire from AskingCanBeFun.com asks this question. How many consecutive days will you wear a pair of pants without washing them before you feel it's inappropriate? That's a great question. I think one of the things that I've learned is I have no internal <laughs> I have no internal moral dilemma with wearing pants indefinitely. Okay. Um, the, I, I will quit So wearing, someone else is someone, going to... It has to be an external... Okay. You know, so a moment when my wife says, throw those in the laundry, or when one of my kids... <laughs> or throw them away. Put their muddy hands, you know, okay. on my... So yesterday, I had a pair of pants that were going three days strong. They were great. And one of my kids put his muddy hands all over the front of them, and I thought, okay, that's, that's yeah. my limit. Okay. Yeah. I had a feeling it was going to be... Either nigh indefinite or indefinite. Yeah. Um, and I like that's one of the things I love about you. You know, the, the externals, you just don't, you're not going to care whether a pair of pants looks like it's been worn six or eight weeks in a row. Good, <laughs> good. All right. Okay. So now there's a button in front of you, Dave. If you press it, you must eat the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for the rest of your life. Okay. So, so the same breakfast every day. Lunch every day, dinner, same thing. For the rest of your life, if you do not press the button, you may never eat the same food twice for the rest of your life. Well, that's a no-brainer. I push the button. You push the button? I push the button. Do you already know what meals they would be? Of course, McGriddles would be breakfast, but then what for lunch and dinner? <laughs> yeah, McGriddles the obvious choice. Glad you took that off the plate. 
or put it on the plate, right. you know, proverbially. Forced uh, it to yeah, stay on the plate. Forced it there forever. The The lunch option would be the blandest version of a turkey sandwich. I would just do a turkey sandwich okay. for lunch. I mean, because I can do that. Every day. Every day. And, you know, really, the reason I would push the button is because I need almost no variety in my in my okay. food palette. Um, but do you actually prefer less variety? I mean, I'm guessing. Uh, my wife would say that I prefer less provide variety, less yeah. variety. But um, no, it's not that I prefer it. Okay, it's that when I find something I like, I don't care. I mean, I'll just eat it over and over and over and over. So, is there a best restaurant in town where you just keep you find you keep going back to that one spot here in Nashville? You know, Bob, you work you work at music music row yeah, area in this area in music row. I could do Satco just oh, over and so over. Good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I ever wake up and go. Well, I, let's go then. I want to ask you because you said you're from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I've been to South Carolina two or three times. It is a magical town, and I think you've even recommended some restaurants to us there. What would you say is the number one must eat restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh man, when I go home, there's a ton of places that I love going. It, a little bit depends on the mood. So if I'm in a barbecue mood, I go to Sticky Fingers. Okay. Um, if if I'm in the mood for wings, I go to um, I go to Wild Wings downtown, which is just amazing. I love it. Um, if if I had to just choose one place that's local and unique and different, it'd be Post Tavern on Sullivan's Island. Pose Tavern on Sullivan's Island, and that's yeah. a that's a Charleston spot. Yeah, it's amazing, and and they have you know you can get a great burger, you can get you know great fish and chips or seafood. I mean, there's just a lot of good stuff. So can you get low country food there? Yeah, like yeah. like shrimp and grits. Uh huh. Yeah, awesome. It's great, but it's just in this like cool little unique setting right on right on the beach, and it's awesome. awesome. Okay, good, good. Well, um, what is uh, who is your hero and why? Yeah, my parents. Uh, and just the way they so authentically um, love the Lord and their family first is just, I've just watched it over and over and over and over. And, uh, you know, I grew up obviously in their house being their kid. And the thing that amazed me was um, that they loved the Lord really well and their family never felt second. Like we never, yeah. I mean, we felt second to the Lord, but we never felt second to their ministry, to their ambitions, yeah. to their... Uh, as kids, we just we felt like we mattered, and it was awesome. You know, really. that's a classic ministry trap, and that's really cool that he didn't oh. fall into that. And now, as a minister yourself, I'm sure you're following, trying to follow in their yeah, footsteps. Yeah, that's it's been one of the things I've tried to imitate the most. The way that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I looked at what my parents did in ministry, and I I respected it then. I still respect it now that they're still doing ministry. I respect what they're doing, um, but I respect even more who they are. And um, who God has helped them become, yeah, and yeah. in the way that they, you know, I, we, I always felt like when my parents were present with us, they were fully present. That's great. Yeah. When Just, you, I'm sure you meet people all the time in ministry that do not share that, and, and who maybe have real issues with parents or baggage that that was given to them maybe not by ministry parents but just this lack of connection and 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 their hero couldn't possibly be a a mother or a father how blessed do you feel to be able to say my dad's my hero my my mom and dad are my heroes yeah i mean i'm sure it's a lot like you it's one of those things the older you get the more you appreciate it i thought that was the norm and you know then i go to college 
then I, you know, start getting into young adulthood and I, I'm seeing people's stories yeah. and I realize not only is it not the norm, I mean, it was just an unbelievable yeah. gift that I was given and I had no idea how great the gift was. You know, I just knew that our family loves each other, you know, siblings, we love each other. It, I just didn't know what yeah. a gift that was until I got out of the house. And so I feel like the older I get, the the older my boys get, I'm just like, man, this is, this is something I really want to pass That's on. That's huge. It really is. Okay. Um, let me ask this. You're, do you have a, you're, you're, you are funny to me. I think you're funny. My son, one of my son's favorite memories is you dressed as Peter Pan throwing pixie dust in the air on the stage at Allen Arena. Yes. Yes. And, (laughs) and you, you, so you're one of, you're just a funny guy. I'm curious to know the late night hosts, national late night guys. Do you have a favorite? Yeah. I think the funniest is Conan, but the one I'd want to hang out with is Jimmy Fallon. Okay. So Conan makes me laugh the hardest. Just, yeah. You know, by the stuff he does. But if I had to choose a friend, I'd choose Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like Conan, TBS was a was a, a bad move a little bit. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just me. I wish he, I wish he were still yeah. on, on network television every night. Finally, Desert Island question. So classic Desert Island scenario. Your plane goes down. You're on a Desert Island. Here's the here's the deal though. In the plane with you was the management team of one the, the management group of one pro sports team, uh, one music group, okay, one 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 group of musicians like a, a, a one group one music group, and then the cast of a television show. It can be a previous television show, whatever. You're on a desert island. Who do you want with you? You, 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 the management group of one pro sports team. Which pro sports team would you choose? Chicago Cubs. Okay. All right. So you want to find out how have they been so? How they've been so bad for so for long. so long? Yeah, they've been my team. My dad grew up six blocks from Wrigley Field. Okay. See, now so, you're going to get to steer the future of the franchise potentially yeah. through the connections made on the desert island. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think that's some time to just kind of clear their heads to <laughs> get a new strategy. You know, 100 years hasn't done it. And so I go, I think that'd be a great, yes. great starting point. 106 years. It's unbelievable. Is it 1908? Was it 1906? 06. Oh, my goodness. 108 years. All right. So, music group, your favorite band? Or the pe- we It'd be Weezer. Yeah. Okay, so so it's, today's you, Wednesday. Yeah, your coworker Patrick Chappelle. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're you're no stranger. No, no. Yeah, he's a big Weezer guy. Weezer was one of the one of the great for me. You you go to the dentist, they put you on the gas, and then you throw in Weezer in the earbuds. <laughs> it's that was one of my favorites. All right, so Weezer is that happening a lot? <laughs> well, I probably was have, that a scenario happening a lot where you're being I had several root canals okay. in the mid 90s hey. to late 90s when Weezer yeah. was making their their run that's great <laughs> thank you for bringing that yeah, up I was just making sure you have a problem multiple root canals and the gas helped yeah, okay. the gas helped and so did Weezer now finally the cast of a TV show man that's tough um, I think Arrested Development okay good <laughs> The first three seasons. Yes. What happened with season four? Ugh. They overthought. They overthought it. They overthought it. Oh, don't. It's just so frustrating. But those first three seasons, so magical. Okay, Dave, you lead a a. Is it fair to say Ethos is a huge church? 
Probably to some people. And yeah. and so when, when somebody at Ethos is asked the question, how big is Ethos, what do they say? Like, uh, how many people go to Ethos? Yeah, you know, on a typical week, we have 2,500 to 3,000, somewhere in there. You know, in the summers, we'll be between probably 2,000. And lots of different services, right? And you you guys, I know you meet in two different locations, Mm -hmm. um, multiple venues. Uh, When did did Ethos start? It's a church plant? Yeah, we started a little over five years ago. Planted about, yeah, about five and a half years ago now. When you started it, did you have, what, like, where you are now, how close is it to the kind of vision that you had five years ago? Uh, in principle, very, very similar. Um, in practicalities, couldn't be more different. So in principle, we imagined a church where um, the heartbeat of that church was evangelism, service, um, you know, ordinary people filled with the extraordinary power of God, really, you know, living yeah. into God's kingdom. And so we've seen that, like, on a big picture. Um, you know, practically, we thought we were just going to have a house church or a few house churches. We had, you know, we never set out to plant a big church. I never set out to be the preacher of that church. I remember even the conversations in the early days were, if this thing grows, who's going to preach? And we thought, I don't know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And uh, I was comfortable leading a Bible study. I had no desire, no comfort standing up front teaching, preaching. And I kind of felt like God... You know, we always laugh. He tricked me into it. I kind of woke up one day, and it's like, wow, the Bible study just gotten bigger. And so, but you're the son of a preacher, right? Yeah. And so, but it never occurred to you to be that preacher. Yeah, I just didn't think I could do it, and not in a negative way. I just, you know, I knew I've always been comfortable standing in front of people. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever thought I had anything to say. You mm. know, and so it's not wow. It's not can you say something? I thought I don't know if I have anything to say, and. It was actually the work of God's mission that changed, you know, so as we committed to be on mission with the Lord in this first little house church, um, things started kind of coming out. That, was it five years ago that the house church mm-hmm. started? Yeah, 2009? Mm-hmm. At the very end of 2008. Very end of 2008. That, that's funny to hear you say that because um, I'll tell the listening audience that you and I were a part of the leadership of... Uh, a youth rally here in Nashville. It's a camp that happens every summer on the campus of Lipscomb University. It's called Impact. And I, 2006, maybe, was the first year that you joined our leadership mm-hmm. team there. We we did a, a drama that, w- that attempted to kind of bring to life spiritual uh, themes and kind of ignite a spark in the hearts of students as we help the theme come to life on stage. And this is nothing new for anybody listening here. Um, but I remember, I, I, and I, I think I've told you this, in 2007... You played, you were kind of the teenager. In fact, there were several years in a row where you sort of played the 16-year-old. <laughs> it's the only you role actually I can still look like a 16-year-old actually now. How old are you, by the way? 32. Okay, well, you look, you still don't look 32. And at the time, we, we, we kept putting you in this role of the 16-year-old in our skit so that students who are in high school can, ima- can imagine themselves dealing with, you know, teenage issues. Um, but, but... So in 07, I remember sitting out in the audience for the final scene of this play. My role was done, and I went around and was in the back of the uh, Allen Arena where, you know, I'm, I guess maybe there were 1,300 students or something. And your your character was a 16-year-old, you know, teenager who's who on his own had to make some courageous decisions to essentially save his, his family, to do something mighty 
Um, and it ended with you preaching, preaching. You, you essentially preached this really amazing, powerful, you know, sermon, six minute, five minute sermon to all these teenagers. And I, and I sat out thinking he has the gift of preaching. Like I could see it in 2007. Mm. So it's interesting to hear you say that leading a Bible study, that was you, but, but I don't know who's going to preach this. Of course, now you, you are doing that. You and one other guy are sort of sharing preaching duties every Sunday or, or Mm -hmm. alternating Sundays or whatever, preaching to, to thousands of people. Um, so I want to learn a little bit more about Ethos. You don't, I mean, we're meeting in a rental house on Music Square West right now. Mm-hmm. And you, so you don't own offices or a building. Yeah, we don't own, yeah, we don't own any buildings, no offices. You meet, your tr- the, the, the worship gatherings on Sundays occur yeah, we, in places like a bar. Yeah, we have basically two bars slash music venues, and we have a week-to-week lease on all of our venues. So we get them one Sunday at a time. Do you get anxious about somebody coming in and saying your lease is done? Like we, you can't, you can't no. do worship services next week. No, it's awesome. You know, but f- that could happen. Oh, it has happened. Yeah, the, you know, the first, the first time, the first year we were at church, we had to move fourteen times in one year. <laughs> um, but it created this DNA in our people that really solidified this reality that they are the church, and that we won't be defined yeah. by where we meet. How you know, and we and so we view those opportunities as a gift from God. When you know, when He kind of comes down and says, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pack up the tents. Let's move through the desert a little farther." Yeah. It, it's really helped us. Uh, this isn't our home. It's not our. How do you resist the the temptation as a ministry staff to think, you know, good grief, it gets tiring setting things up every Sunday for these you know, worship gatherings, boy, it'd be great to have a building. We've got enough people now. I mean, you're raising money. You're doing things all over the world. You could take some of that money and and build a a church building. Why not? Yeah, and, you know, I want to be clear. We're not anti-buildings. You know, everybody kind of thinks we're anti-buildings. I think one of the things that we've seen is you'll spend your whole life maintaining and building something. And we've just kind of decided, let's put all of our energy into maintaining and building God's work in people mm-hmm. as opposed to facilities or stuff or things. And um, we, don't, we don't think we have the energy to, you know, try to do the other. To do both, and yeah. the thing that makes us excited, you know, it, it definitely gets tiring at times, you know, the set up, the tear down, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Um, but the beauty of it is it gives us the opportunity to, you know, empower six or 700 volunteers uh, every month who show up on Sunday mornings. You know, we have volunteers that get there at 6 in the morning and volunteers that are leaving at 10 at night and people that if we had a building, we'd instantly take take away a job. They, yeah. they want, you know, they want... Our people don't just want to show up. They don't want to just come and sit and listen. That They want to open up opportunities for other people to hear the gospel, to find community. Um, it's an amazing way for us to connect non-believers. And so... You know, there's a lot of folks in our church that aren't believers in Jesus yet, so we're not going to let them teach Bible classes. We're not mm-hmm. going to let them lead worship or do some of those things. But, man, we've got non-believers that are running setup teams and service opportunities, and 
you know, working in some very meaningful places in our church. And so we give them the space to belong in our community way before they believe. Mm-hmm. And, and we've just seen God bring a lot of people to himself through that. Well, and I was going to say, can you tell us tell us a story or two about just how doing church this way has really impacted a life or a marriage or a family or a, a teen or a child or a grandparent? I mean, it's yeah. blown, blown your mind. Yeah, you know, the, the reason we exist is for, you know, people to grow in Christ, whether they're Christian or not. So we're, we're there for, you know, if you're a human being, we're there for you. But the things that really make me excited is when I see somebody come in who's not a believer, uh, maybe even antagonistic to what we're doing. And I know just by the fact that they came there, that God is already after them. Mm -hmm. You know, because I don't care how antagonistic you are to Christianity, if you keep coming, if you keep coming back, you're not as antagonistic as you think you are. And so, think about my friend Chris, who uh, came over here from London and has no believers uh, of Christ in his whole family. And he comes over here for music and meets a girl who's a Christian, and he wants to date her, but he doesn't want to date. Um, he doesn't want to become a Christian to get a girl. Um, he he was ethically opposed to that, yeah. even though I had a lot of friends that were not ethically opposed to that <laughs> when I was growing up, you know. And so he decides he's going to start coming to this um, Christian church, see what we believe. So he starts showing up at, at this at our church, and he would refuse to do anything we told him to do. So if in the sermon I said, hey, open up your Bible, he wouldn't. If Will asked him to stand up to sing, he would sit down. Like, he just was not going to—he didn't want to be brainwashed as he would say it. Yeah. Um, but he had this routine. Um, every Sunday after church, he'd leave our church and go to this Buddhist temple because he's interested in spirituality. So he said one day he's in the Buddhist temple, and um, he was participating in whatever they were asking him to do, and he just sensed, as he described it, he, he said, I sensed this spirit telling me that I was not giving— Christians the same chance that I was given Buddhist, and that if I was going to go to both, I needed to give them both the same chance. So he said, I was in this Buddhist temple, and I made a decision that whatever you guys tell me to do at Ethos, I'm going to do. So starting the next week, if you told me to stand to sing, I'd stand and I'd try to sing. If you told me to open the Bible, I'd open the Bible. He said, one one day you made a reference to, hey, if you want to learn more about this, you can find it on the podcast. I kid you not, this guy, you know, 26 years old, uh, went on our podcast and over the course of a few months listened to 180 episodes, 180 sermons, took notes on all of them, um, got, got on a volunteer team, got in a house church, you know, all before he, you know, placed his faith in Christ. This is a two-year journey, and we got to baptize him on Easter Sunday, you know. Just just this Easter yeah, Sunday? Yeah, two weeks ago I baptized him. and <laughs> That's awesome. And what was neat is I baptized him. You know, there's like 15 people around him. As he responds to the gospel, they're all like, we've been praying. And I'm like, what's amazing is Chris has been, for almost two years, getting there and setting up chairs, mm-hmm. making communion bread. He makes communion bread. Um, you know, <laughs> working with all sorts of volunteer projects and things. And... Uh, just because we've tried to say, hey, you belong, you matter, yeah. there's something for you to do here. And all along we know it's God's, you know, it's God's work. I have a lot of friends in the church planning world, they're always making the comment, you know, we want to do church for people that, you know, don't like church. And very respectfully, I think that's stupid because, you know, church to a non-Christian is like a steakhouse to a vegetarian. It's, you can't make it unchurchy yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, but we believe that if a church will be centered around the person of Christ, and if we'll be open to other people as Christ is open to them, yeah. 
when he draws them to himself, we'll we'll just be in the unique intersection of that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, so our motto is, you know, uh, our motto as a church or our mission when I say we exist to love God, love people, awaken a movement. And the joke within our staff over the last few weeks, because we had three people from Europe get baptized on Easter Sunday, the joke is, as we've always said, our mission is to love God, love people, awaken a movement, and reach Europe. <laughs> I mean, just it's it's so absurd, you know how God's working, and we just praise Him for it, and we know it's not us. We just happen to be standing in the middle. Well, I want to ask you about the young adults in your congregation, like the young adult. What is it that you're doing that young adults find so? engaging and and uh that ignites a a a passion in them and i want to we're going to go to that next right right now um i I want real quickly you talked about reaching europe you do own property (laughs) you said you, you don't but that's in the u.s Tell us where you actually do own property. Yeah, so we, we own property in India, we've, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense, clearly. <laughs> yeah, Obviously, you you know, Nashville, and then you move out and, to India. Yeah, for our commuters, for the ones right. that were in the suburbs, <laughs> we wanted to give them How, Why, why India? This is amazing. Yeah, and that story is probably too long for the podcast. The short answer was God opened up a door so wide um, for us to to move into India that we would literally, I mean, we just couldn't miss the opportunity. It's, it's hard to explain. A few years ago we were praying about uh, what God was inviting us to be a part of globally, and uh, this door opened with one of our friends who's a church planter. Uh, he had been a part of some church planting in India. He mm-hmm. met he met a guy over there and said, Dave, I met, I met an Indian version of the Apostle Paul. You guys, wow. would, you guys would be amazing buddies. His name's Pius, and uh, our Indian church planner. And he said, um, "If you could meet Pius, if you guys could connect, um, I think God will use your uh-huh. friendship." And we connected, and it was it was like a spiritual brotherhood, unity, um, supernatural trust uh-huh. in one another that God was aligning something. And God opened the door very quickly for us to plant um, the first church. We we now have two congregations over there. We have a school. We have a um, vocational training center for um, adults and uh, primarily women. Wait, the, the school is the vocational training no, the center. Schools for children. Oh, you got a school for children. We have a school for children, vocational training center for um, women that have been abandoned by husbands um, through mm-hmm. divorce and can't get jobs. It's kind of very first century in a lot of ways. Getting ready to start a medical clinic um, over there. So some really just it's it's all been God's. I mean. It, the the thing that's so beautiful about India, you know, even here in Nashville, we know that all the work that's happening is God's right. hand, God's work. But because we're involved, it's still sometimes easy as a human being to go, well, I was helping, I was doing something. Yeah. The the beautiful thing in India, what's going on in India among our churches right there, right there, right now, is that we have no, we can't claim. I mean, we it is God. It it's God's work, and He has allowed us to be the to be the um, witnesses of that mm-hmm. work and to tell people about it. And to, you know, and so we have... Um, <laughs> That's amazing. I've never actually been there. We have uh, a lot of people on our team and staff and in our church that have been over there, and it's never worked out with my schedule. Yeah. But that's the beauty of that's technology just... and life and God's kingdom. And So, yeah, because you're not... I, I'm assuming you, ex, you know, there's collections happening or money's being raised at different times. I follow you on Twitter, so I see that there are, you know, you guys are, are raising funds to change the world, to do things, like you said. 
Um, it, was it just India? You're just you're just funding this all. I mean, or or are you sending people to do the work there, or is it Indians that are coming to Christ who are doing the work there? Yeah, it's it's all Indians uh, doing the work and. Anytime we're involved, it's only to supplement and to encourage those okay. that are doing the work. Um, and so, uh, you know, our finances um, that we help them with, it's to help them move towards independence. So when they mm-hmm. launch a new ministry, they not, launch, you know, they're not living off the purse strings yeah, of America. Yeah, yeah. It, they're they're amazing. They're such hardworking, um, Christ-centered brothers and sisters. I mean, we've been blown away by them. Okay, I, I know we don't have a whole lot more time. But I want to hear you, you know, the, 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 I, I was so interested in having you speak on this podcast because you, so many former OCYGers, I work at Otter Creek, which is a church down in South Nashville, and, and, and we graduate, you know, just, just Sunday night, two nights ago, we, we graduated, we did our special senior night where we honor our 28 graduates and they're going to go wow. off to college, et cetera, et cetera. And every year they go out and we bless them and we just get excited about what they're going to do in the world. And so many of them, when I, when I, when they come back to Nashville or, or if they go to college in Nashville, I just assume they're going to end up at Ethos because of the movement that has started and the, the, just the, it's like there's a hunger for something that God is doing at Ethos. And I wanted you to talk about that. So the question is, what is happening at Ethos that young adults, 20, 21, 22-year-olds who grew up in our youth groups, those of us that are congregational youth ministers, that, that, that just feeds them and connects to them and, and gets under their skin? Yeah, you know, so I think on the surface, we're probably doing a lot of things that everybody else is doing, you know, exalting Jesus, teaching the Bible, worshiping, you know, worshiping in an authentic environment, serving in the city. I don't think any of those things are unique. I think maybe the thing that is especially resonating with this younger generation is we have really tried to raise the bar in what we expect from them and for them. And what I mean by that is we place the same, um, hopefully in a, in a good way, the same expectation on a 19-year-old that we have on a 39-year-old. And that is we want to develop you as a disciple so you can disciple those around you. And and so there is a place for a young adult to do really meaningful ministry from the moment they walk in our church. And so, you know, we have we have folks in their early 20s that have been leading house churches. I mean, you know, really good house churches mm-hmm. for a couple of years by the time, you know, so they'll graduate college and they will have been, leading a house church. They're leading house churches while they're in college. While they're in college. You know, so we've got a guy who's now on our staff, but, um, you know, he's 23 years old. Uh, but he led house churches sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, he probably baptized 40 people in those three years, you know, through his house church in college. Mm-hmm. And um, I look at that and I go, not only was I not doing that in college, there was like zero expectation yeah. that I could be doing that, or like, um, and so we try to live in this environment of high invitation and high challenge. You know, like there's a deep relational invitation to be a part of who God is and what God's doing, and let's let's out of that man who we are in God. Let's let's step into the mission together. And so, 
um, you know, we've really tried to empower our our young adults to say, you know, the Spirit of God's in you, and we know you're going to mess up, and we know that you don't have it all figured out, and we don't expect you to. Um, what we do expect you to do is we expect you to be playing the game. We expect you to be in the game, mm-hmm. on the field, get, getting your hands dirty in God's mission in the world, mm-hmm. and we will be there beside you and behind you and around you when you fall to help you get back up. Um, so when you mess up, that's not the, that's not the game changer. Um, we're we're going to help move you through, you know, um, the failure. And it's created an environment where our young adults are really willing to go for it. We um we got that model. We stole it, I think, straight from Jesus. Uh, I'm convinced if Jesus was on our staff here, we would have fired him a long time ago. And he probably would have been fired from any church because right. he, he does things that are so absurd. You know, he releases... Remember the first time reading Matthew 10, like very fresh, he sends the disciples out. Mm-hmm. And it hit me at that point that none of them had confessed him as Lord yet. And he sends them out to preach and to cast out demons and to raise the dead. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going, that's absurd. And and it's it's the way that he worked, you know. And so we've really tried to, to go, that's it. It's sort of the Ephesians 4 model uh, for, yeah, long, yeah. for a long Equipping. time. Equipping. Yeah. You know, what I always miss, though, is he said, you know, you equip the saints for works of service so that they can mature. He doesn't say you equip them to mature so that they can serve. He says, no, you equip them for the work of ministry. And when they're doing ministry, that's how God's going to mature them and sanctify them and grow them. And so we've kind of said, hey, let's let's do that. And it's messy and it's it's wonderful. I mean, you can imagine the problems that you get when you have a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old leading, but I would argue that they're no different than the problems you get when you have a 50-year-old leading yeah. and a, you know, it's... Do you have a challenge for youth ministers? I mean, this is a podcast for, for people that are working with teenagers mainly. Do, do you think, I mean, what... I think I hear you saying that we, we graduate students out of our youth ministries that come and are surprised at the expectation to get in the game and to do ministry at Ethos, even as a 19-year-old. Do you, do, would, you, would you say youth ministers need to step our game up in terms of the expectation we put or, or invite them to? Man, like I look at youth ministers and... Uh, and I'm not saying this just because you're my friend or because you're a youth minister or because those of you listening are youth ministers. I go, youth ministers are the unsung hero of, in the kingdom of God. And so much of who I've become as a man of God goes back to what happened in the context of youth ministry. Um, I think part of the thing that we're seeing is the, the fruit of good youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, because in youth... In, you're, you mean in Ethos Church? Yeah, yeah. And So, for example... I think one of the real disconnects is our students are really empowered and encouraged and challenged in youth ministry context, but they struggle once they step into big mm-hmm. church context, whatever, however you want to hear that, you know, adult, in, into the adult world. Yeah. They don't know where they fit anymore. And so a lot of them can't foresee any um, real moments of meaningful ministry until they're in their early 30s with the family because a lot of our churches are structured in such a way that the only people doing yeah, you know, tangible ministry are 15 years ahead of them in life, right. and so um, I don't know if our I don't know if the students that come to us out of youth ministries are surprised 
by the challenge or the expectation. I think they're empowered by it, though, yeah. and I think it makes sense. And, you know, so what I would encourage when I'm thinking about youth ministers, I go, you guys just keep raising the bar. You get them in one of the most pivotal moments of their life. Um, don't waste those years. I mean, and most of you aren't. Keep setting the bar. Jesus, you know, I know people see it differently, but I think the majority of his disciples were youth groupers. They were, yeah. they were yeah, young. Right. They were young guys. Most Jesus, teenagers. Jesus turned the world upside down with those guys. And I go, so you've got these guys and girls. Challenge, empower, raise the bar on what you expect. And I think maybe... The, the area where I'd really challenge youth ministers is not with what you're doing in the context of your youth ministry. Um, I would pray that God would elevate your voices among the, the tables of senior leadership within your church context yeah. to, to help your church see, mm-hmm. man, here's how, here's how we can bridge this gap. And, and I go, I think that's the... So that's probably more of a challenge for yeah. me to elderships and senior leaderships but yes. I go you as youth ministers and I think that's the beauty of guys like you and Johnny and um, Skid folks mm-hmm. that have Todd folks that have stayed in the context of a certain church for a while is you now have a voice and a credibility um, I'd love to see youth ministers you know really mm-hmm. be that you know you guys aren't keeping you aren't keeping the kids you are right you are literally handing the most volatile stage of the spiritual transformation process. And so I go, you know, how absurd is it, you know, that uh, a church wouldn't embrace that and get around that. And so um, keep, Maybe, the, keep the course. We, we need to get you on the digital elder meeting side uh, podcast. <laughs> That's you, what we, I, I don't know who that? records it, but that, that we need you talking to our, our shepherding groups and our senior pastors uh, that that's cool because like I mean like you you know I hear your story and I think man maybe we ought to expect more or give more opportunities, but 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 tucked away in the in the power or the story of the ethos church is these young adults that that came from churches who are prepared and ready to be a part of a movement. Uh, so I'm I, thank you. That's a real encouragement Good. Uh, to me. And I love you. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in your life. Um, thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for not taking yourself too seriously. You know, I, I just love you. You know, in five years, you went from a house church to, to 2,500 people and a hospital being built in India. You know, and that could, that could, it could be really easy for you to, to, for you to, I don't know, take just to think of yourself in ways that wouldn't be healthy. And I'm so glad that that you don't and so thank you man um i love you i, I love you and yeah, i mean anything good and it's the same in your life anything good in mine it's it's all been god's work and so we can yeah. we can see ourselves as we are and then that's we can, right we can celebrate him for who he is and uh, to all of you youth ministers out there uh man real turning point in my life and my faith and my ability to share my faith with other people happened junior, senior year in high school, um, some of the most pivotal moments um, because a guy named Mike Epps, mm-hmm. you know, was discipling me and walking with me. And, uh, man, just the fruit of that, um, I'll never be able to thank him enough. And so for all you men and women out there doing this, it's really important stuff. So thank you. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. And I'm going to I'm gonna start the bumping music. 
And I'm going to give Dave Clayton a hug. <laughs> is this a digital you, front hug? Well, it's just a, it's a digital warm fuzzy. I love you, man. Love Thank you, you for being on the on the podcast. I see Will Shinnick in there. I'm about to get a Will Shinnick hug. This is great. I don't know how yeah, he is with like physical contact. But those of you on the digital side, hug, we'll we'll see you next time. Uh, thank you and thanks, Dave. Tell Sydney and the boys that we said hello, uh, and we'll see you next time on the digital side hug.